Oh, hello everyone. Uh, you've currently found me in some sort of supernatural lull state where I'm being haunted by all the podcasting plans I made and never fulfilled. I mean, this was meant to be the year we did that whole are you being served thing, but Gary's got his own problems. So I'm just uh, stranded here in the wreckage of concepts that will never come to fruition. Not least last year, I had some sort of vague fancy that I would spend December watching different versions of A Christmas Carol. That's not happening. 2021 has come and gone. But, you know, just, just bear with me. If I can just get myself out of this place, maybe, maybe if I wake up. Wake up. I'm in my own room, my home studio. Time to make a new plan for the year. Let me stick my head out the window and greet the new day. Next time I'll open the window first. I say, um, you down there, boy. Me, sir? Y yes, you. What day is it? Uh, it's a day in late January, sir. Well, that's typical. Bang goes my plan of even getting the January edition out for January. You're probably hearing this in February. Anyway, I, I, I say, my fine fellow, what's your name? Yeah, my name is uh, it's Tyler Adams, sir. Tyler Adams from Goompod? Well, don't just stand there. Come up here. Let's watch a film together. In fact, I'm going to make him watch a version of A Christmas Carol. And that way, it doesn't matter when I release this, at least it will be ready for December 2022, assuming that ever happens. Oh, God, I'm brilliant sometimes. Tyler, I want to put two statements to you. And I want to see if you can reconcile these statements. You have children. For my sins, yes. And you've never seen Muppet's Christmas Carol? No. I mean, were your children born in the mid-70s? And that's... <laughs> they, were, they were already too old for it by the time it came out? Because I can't quite put these two things together. Well, it's a weird thing because they're not really... We didn't actually really sit down and watch a lot of films as a family. For some reason, I don't think they like me particularly. <laughs> no, we um, no, we watch things like Polar Express, and um, I will tell you one thing that that my son did enjoy watching was Mickey's Christmas Carol. Remember from the eighties, right? The cartoon? Yes, yeah. So he liked that, but no, the Muppets were never a thing. I mean, you know, I know as much, and I love the Muppets as much as the next fellow, unless the next fellow is Frank Oz. I was born and grew up with the Muppets and loved the Muppets, but by the time my kids were born, the Muppets weren't really. I know that there were those rebooted movies, wasn't there, a couple of years ago, but just, it sort of passed them by. And I'd never seen Muppet's Christmas Carol. Uh, so I, I hadn't grown up with it or I hadn't sort of got into it. So I didn't bring that into the house, really. Was some of the discourse around it preventing you as well? Because after a while, it suddenly built up to, oh, this is actually the best version. See, it's not just Muppets. It's actually really good adaptation of Dickens and... You, you can build it up to a certain pitch where you end up with hype fatigue. Yeah, I, I appreciate this was the wrong view, but I, I think I half had in my head that, you know, the sort of the gradual um, infantilization of our generation or the generations after us, if you know what I mean. Or, no, no I, think actually, it was, I think it was Gen X's fault to, probably, to a yeah. large extent. Yeah, so, so I think I kind of had it in my head that it was it was being celebrated because it was the Muppets, not because it was very good. I do have a lot of time for Michael Caine, so I probably would have watched it for, for Michael Caine if I'd been so inclined, but it was just one of those things. And, and I've never been one for, apart from It's a Wonderful Life, I've never really been one for Christmas films. And I'll just tell you for now, I think a lot of that, because I've been thinking about this a lot, well, I never really grew up with Christmas television or films because I grew up in the Southern Hemisphere where Christmas was blazing sunshine, Christmas Day, and you weren't indoors, you were outside having barbecues and so Christmas television was a lot different than it was in the Northern Hemisphere. What did you get then as for Christmas television? I really struggled because I, I had 16 Christmases. Well, the first 16 years of my life, Christmas was middle of summer. I think it was more or less normal TV with some Christmas shows thrown in. But as I say, the TV wasn't really on because it was everyone was outside generally, or you know, it, it was. Yeah, I've got this impression in my mind that you had like old movie serials and the kind of throwaway stuff that we had in, in, on summer television in Britain. The only thing I can remember, the only television program that was Christmas centric that sticks in my mind, and it was more for because of my mum's reaction, because my mum was, despite everything I've just said, my mum, even though she was a, a New Zealander. 
she was very traditionalist in a way. She was quite conservative and she wanted me to retain a belief in everything that's bound up in Christmas, if you know what I mean. And there was an American cartoon from probably was from the 70s. And it was, I guess, a half hour Christmas thing called I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. But I remember watching that and my mum catching me watching it. Say catching me watching it like I was watching pornography (laughs) or something. But she was quite irritated or annoyed or upset because, I don't know, she saw it as kind of almost sinful. The whole idea that somebody's mother would be kissing Santa Claus and it might be giving me notions that Santa Claus is something other than this sainted being, this otherworldly <laughs> figure, that he had carnality. <laughs> and to be honest, I mean, Robin Esquith is probably now of an age that he could convincingly play Santa Claus, <laughs> and the rest of it just uh, makes itself, really. Yeah, yeah. Confessions of a jolly old elf. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that your mother insisted that you watch this thing or she was upset that you hadn't waited, that you hadn't watched it with her. So what about uh, Christmas Carol? Have you watched lots and lots of versions? Have you watched as many versions as I have? Dear God, no. Um, I've watched probably more versions of A Christmas Carol in the last two to three years than I'd ever have in my life because um, I've watched them with with you and and the chaps, (laughs) to be honest. Because um, I know you're a sucker for a good Christmas Carol adaptation, so we have I'm a watched sucker quite a for few. a bad Christmas Carol adaptation. There are very few that are so terrible that I wouldn't even watch them once. Um, I have no intentions of ever watching an American Carol, but I did once watch a Valentine Carol. <laughs> I want to make it clear the rules I have. They're, they're not really rules. Um, I drew up a list. I took out ones that I've talked about before. Versions that I think other people within my podcasting circle have talked about before. And I ended up with mostly only versions that were Ebenezer Scrooge or somebody with the surname Scrooge. Not, for instance, and it's a very good version, an American Christmas Carol made in Canada with Henry Winkler. It's... A very good adaptation of the story, but the lead character is called Benedict Slade, and the story of A Christmas Carol exists in his world. He is aware of Dickens as an author. He's aware of the story as fiction. So I thought, just to keep them all neat, I'll, I'll just pluck out those versions. Jaffa Kexer Priest actually started out with, oh, we did a pre-launch special, and then we did our pilot that was watching different versions of A Christmas Carol. And I said then, the thing that appeals to me is that it's full of knobbly bits. It is full of things you can kind of grab onto and change perspective on. There are things you can play up and things you can play down. I have a list here of omissions, inclusions, and additions because I don't think there is one single version that has absolutely everything from the text. The closest I can think of is the 1999 Patrick Stewart version, which maybe we'll get onto sometime this year. I don't know, but you've always got to make this call as, as per the hype. The Muppet Christmas Carol, I th- that's the correct title, isn't it? The Muppet Christmas Carol has a hell of a lot of Dickens. In fact, it has slightly more Dickens than other versions because, of course, we've got Gonzo as Charles Dickens doing the narration, and so because the narration is an important part of the story, of course, you can't really have all of the narration in a version, otherwise it'd come across like something like um, The Creeping Terror. Have you ever heard of that? No. no. The Creeping Terror is um, a 50s science fiction film about a deadly carpet. Well, it's not really meant to be a carpet. It's meant to be, an, I guess maybe it's meant to be like one of a giant single cell thing. It's sort of creeps I, I, along yes is it is it the trollenberg terror no okay. no, <laughs> no 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 okay it's this big flat thing that rolls along very leisurely and eats people pretty much with the cooperation of the people being eaten they have to actually stand there in fact sometimes they basically pretty much have to push themselves into the mouth of this thing and the story as i understand it is they shot it and the soundtrack became damaged or lost and so, for the most part, the narrator is telling you what's happening constantly. He will not shut up. There is nothing left to the imagination. He's telling you the inner thoughts of the people. He's telling you 
how everybody feels at the end. And this is to compensate for low production values, I guess, yeah? I think this is to make something submissible. It was meant to be an ordinary talking film. The soundtrack got lost, and I guess looping all the dialogue would have taken more budget than they had. So I think it's just one of those, oh, get it done. Just have somebody saying something so we're not handing over a silent film. We've got X number of drive-ins that want this thing. Nobody's even going to be looking at the screen, so it... Well, didn't something similar almost happen with Son of Dracula? Wasn't there like a a new soundtrack? Yeah, the Harry uh, Nilsson film. They made Son of Dracula, Harry Nilsson, Ringo stars in it, other people who really ought to know better are in it. It's boring. Yeah, it's not so bad it's good. It just sort of meanders around. And the story I've heard is there was talk of getting Graham Chapman, maybe John Cleese as well, to write a new soundtrack and punch it up and put gags in it. But I don't know if it ever got as far as being done and that soundtrack is gone or if it was just an idea that got kicked down the road. I mean, Harry Nilsson and Graham Chapman probably, yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get a day's work done, are you? So, A Christmas Carol. I don't want to come across as a bit of a snob, because I'm glad this version exists. It is a high-quality adaptation of the Dickens original. If this was the only version somebody had seen, they would actually have a fairly reasonable grasp of the story and its themes and its feelings. But I kind of wish you could also put Michael Caine's performance in a completely straight version. This has been a controversy recently on Twitter. Somebody said, Michael Caine didn't need to lean into it this hard. Well, maybe he didn't need to, but the fact that he did takes an already pretty damn fine movie and propels it into the stratosphere. Yeah, he plays this 100% straight. If he tried to acknowledge the ridiculousness of it, it would end up being neither fish nor fowl. Playing Scrooge funny wouldn't make it funny. And it would kill the drama. If you've got Muppets all around you, you don't really need to do that much funny stuff yourself if you don't want to. In the Muppet universe, there's no real straight man, is there, apart from Kermit, I guess? So you do need a straight man. You I mean, you can someone. use the Muppets. You can use a funny person to make the situation even funny. I've got Disney Plus, sorry, and uh, HBO Max. And now I can't remember which is which for DC or Marvel, which is agony to a comic book person like me that to. to go off to the wrong one but first world problems Mm. yes decadence really (laughs) and i've been watching the muppet shows i've just been going through all the muppet shows with british people and marty feldman is fantastic with the muppets he just really feels very natural with them the spike milligan one is interesting because it's spike on his best behavior but he's been brought in to be a wild man it's a peculiar little thing but you know what? There's another podcast. You've already talked about the Muppets and the Goons, haven't you? Yeah, so we've covered the two Muppet shows that had a goon in them, one with Peter Sellers, one with Spike. And that was interesting because it was really interesting contrast. Watching the Sellers episode, Sellers being Sellers, is very self-contained. Obviously, you know, he's Sellers always was. He, he was always, always like a coiled spring, you know what I mean? But very kind of rigid. There's a lot of rigidity to Sellers in his characters. Whereas Spike's just all over the place. He, he's been a coiled spring and someone's opened the box and he's, you know, he's, he's leapt out. And um, he's, it's almost like, dare I say, it's almost like he's trying too hard on the, on the Muppet show. Yes, it's peculiar, trying too hard and yet also pulling his punches. But also enjoying it. I think he's enjoying it. I think he loved, he loved the experience. Sorry, I, I got distracted there. Look, I'm, I'm going to have to be clear with everybody. Th- these aren't necessarily going to be forensic examinations of the ones... We're watching. A lot has been said about Muppet Christmas Carol, but I just, I had this opportunity to watch with somebody who'd not watched it before. I really should have. It's just popped into my head the Jim Carrey version. I don't know if you're aware of that version. I'm aware of it. Yeah, it came out uh, 2009. I went to see it at the cinema. And of course, Jim Carrey plays all three spirits and Scrooge. And I'm just thinking, there is an idea that needs Peter Sellers. Yes. Yeah, I could see Sellers as the old man he played in The Optimists of Nine Alms. Have you seen that film? No, it's on that list of films we're going to watch. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a character from, quite possibly, from Bradford. Because that's where Sellers' people were. That's, I think his dad was from Bradford, uh, his dad's family. And Sellers plays this washed-up, old sort of musical 
comedian artiste who's trawling through the slightly grotty back streets of London in the early 70s. But I could see him playing that sort of character as Scrooge with a few tweaks here and there. And likewise, yeah, I could see him playing the ghost as well in, in a similar sort of like um, when he was in Strange Love, each character was completely separate from the other. Jim Carrey just does accents. A Christmas present has this, we might be talking about this one, but yeah, Christmas present has this amazing Scouse, Yorkshire, Northumbrian, mm-hmm. Carlisle, Derbyshire. West Country. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Can I just say, sorry, the day that we're recording this, is it, it is a very sad day because we've seen the passing of one of the greats, Barry Cryer. And you and I and the guys, we did watch a version of, of Christmas Carol. I think it was a version of A Christmas Carol that we watched that I think Barry had a hand in writing, which was the Kenny Everett yes, Christmas Carol. Just, just barely a version of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> and that had Spike in it as well. Yes. But let's not start talking about Barry Cryer, not because it is not the right thing to do, but because it is very hard to stop. Mm, mm. I'm just, I'm just going to have to pull myself a Gatorade. We're not sponsored by Gatorade, but... Uh, I'm not sponsored by anybody. I don't know where you've been buying your mattresses from, but I, I have no <laughs> advice for you on that front. I need some online counselling. Any idea where I can get some? Though actually, I did once buy a bed mm. uh, from a shop that was above where Shadrach and Duxbury is in the movie version of Billy uh, Liar. Wow. So Michael Caine, right. Michael Caine gives a great straight performance. He's got all the famous lines, but like the line about... Boiled in his own pudding. In this version, I think it's boiled, boiled or roasted with his own turkey. Americanize it, I guess. And buried with a stick of holly through his heart. He does it between his teeth with genuine rage. Yes. Not the standard version. He's thought about these lines that have been said again and again and again and again in the history of recorded media and decided to put... I don't know what's Michael Caine's acting style. I can't imagine that he's particularly method. No, it's from what I can tell, from all the films of his I've seen over the years and from interviews and whatnot, his acting technique tends to be often slightly shout dialogue and don't blink. <laughs> For sinister characters. It's uh, our friend, mutual friend Andrew Hickey of the podcast The History of Rock Music in 500 Songs. He blogged about Doctor Who, among other things, and he mentions this, the differing acting styles between America and the UK. Now, of course, by this point, there's been cross-fertilization, but it's basically the method, I think, might have been either slower to catch on in the UK or adopted in a different fashion. You hear about these Hollywood actors who do all this stuff to just get themselves in the mindset of the character, and they refuse to come out of character. They try and become the person inside and the, let the performance come out, whereas... There's a British mode of acting that might include method methodologies, but is slightly more outside in. What's the character saying? What's the situation? Making deliberate choices. Not being the character and just having the choice just suddenly come to you in the middle of the performance. <laughs> but actually say it, right, I'm, I'm going to say it this way. I think that th- th- this person would react this way. And I, I imagine Kane is probably more of the latter what works, works. Um, and he does get to show that malicious glee that, again, an addition that really... There are a few additions here and there that fit very well with the rest of the story that if you you wouldn't really know they're not Dickens. That thing where he says, harvest time for the moneylenders. Obscene glee. There's a great scene with a, a debtor, a, a Muppet. I can't remember the Muppet's name. He's, I mean, he might just be original to this part. And he's talking about how much he owns. And my daughter, her lungs aren't right. And the doctor takes his share. That's not in Dickens. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, but that's very good Cod Dickens, isn't it? Yes. What is your problem with Rizzo the Rat? Too much of a wiseacre. I mean, okay, this is a weird thing to say. He seems totally anachronistic in this, which is a ridiculous (laughs) thing to say. But also, if he's going to be called Rizzo, Midnight Cowboy (laughs) vibes. Yes. And I want him more antsy. I want him more agitated. I don't want him. I don't want him being a smart ass. And he was unnecessary. I think, okay, was he unnecessary? He, did Gonzo, as Charles Dickens, did he need a sidekick? Did he need someone to play off? Perhaps he did. I'd just like to mention the actor Stephen McIntosh, who plays nephew Fred. He might just be my favourite nephew Fred in 
all versions. He's a lot younger than most nephew Freds. And that just seems to make his insolence towards Scrooge just zing a little bit more. Yeah, well, I was watching this and Fred comes in and, and he's very fresh-faced and very smiley and very upbeat. And he's chatting to all Scrooge's staff, including Kermit. And, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, it, he had quite a sort of what I would describe as a bland face. Is, is that fair? Not particularly striking as such, but conventionally handsome. It was only as sort of the film went on and I was just checking IMDb and I realized it was Stephen McIntosh. And Stephen McIntosh went on to become, I guess, quite famous for playing wrongens, essentially disturbed villains. And there's a film called The Escapist in which he essentially is um, cutting up everybody in a prison virtually. He's, what's the word? Uh, you know, using a shiv. He's just basically going around and stabbing people and swearing a lot. And, it, and it's completely, <laughs> completely in contrast to dear old or dear young nephew Fred, who is the sweetest young man about town. I'm just looking at my notes. And yes, there's an interesting bit as well. For the most part, the Muppets keep things light. You could play this as a ghost story. People have. Some people have overplayed it. But there's that bit where Bean Bonnie does some carol singing. Is this at near the beginning where he's outside the office and... Okay. Yes, mm -hmm. he's doing some carol singing and Scrooge tells him where to go. And then Bean Bunny's walking away. The door opens, but it's just for Scrooge to throw the wreath and it hits Bean Bunny. Now, I'm trying to remember which order the musical numbers come in. Yeah, Scrooge is introduced with... There goes Mr. Outrage. There goes Mr. Sneer. These... All the songs of this were written by Paul Williams, and I believe it was like his first big project after getting sober, and he was not certain that he did the best job he could. I think he did a fantastic job. Yes, some toe-tapping tunes. Just on that, by the way, when before we even see Kane or Scrooge, and I think, if I remember correctly, the characters are preparing his entrance, aren't they? They're talking about him. And our first glimpse of Scrooge, it's almost redolent of... And not that I'm any kind of a star, I was going to say Star Trek, <laughs> any, any sort of a Star Wars fan, but the black cape and the purposeful stride as he turns the corner and comes into shot made me think a little bit of Darth Vader. And I, thought, I wonder if that was a conscious uh, move on Brian Henson's part. I'm just thinking that the sweep of the cape is just a standard piece of stagecraft and that it was George Lucas who was drawing on years and years of black capes swishing about. Yes, fair enough. But just before we're getting to Scrooge going home, one thing missed out, missed out in most versions, is that he goes to a little inn and has some pathetic little dinner. It's in the Alistair Sim version. Anyway, before we get to that, we then cut back to Bean Bunny and he's in the snow, shivering. That's quite a jab in the ribs. I know you don't like the, uh, the rats singing This Is My Island in the Sun. It's just too zany. <laughs> so, so, but after all the the occasional zaniness and the undercutting, just that of being bunny. So, you know, Scrooge's actions have consequences. He's not just unpleasant. There is a harshness to him, and this is where it leads. When we see Scrooge, I guess the only part of the film is where we see Scrooge at his most vile, for want of a better word, where you see the gritted teeth, the teeth bared, the snarl. Where does that compare on the scale of similar Kane performances? If you, if the extreme being, I guess, the, the character who played in Mona Lisa, and and then you've got Jack Carter, where does where does Scrooge <laughs> figure on that? <laughs> I'm not sure how that scale works. Is that entirely a two dimensional scale, or is there a sort of parabola? He's in between the guy from Blame It on Rio that Kane played, and um, the Viceroy from Water. Maybe I don't know. So the Marleys. I think it's a wrong step to have there be two Marleys. Instead of Waldorf and Statler, Jacob Marley should be Sam the Eagle because he's pompous. Because when you get Waldorf and Statler, Marley's meant to be in a really bad way. As I said before, Frank Finley in the George C. Scott version, his Marley is in hell. Not just some sort of unpleasant, but not quite as bad alternative to hell. He's in hell. Jacob and Robert, oh dear, come on, Marley, keep talking about the terrible things they did and laughing. 
there's a couple of moments where they go, oh, but it's like, yeah, but you were laughing before that, and there's two of you. You're not alone, and you laugh together. So this is kind of a mess up of the concept of Marley. Yes. What roles would you have assigned Wardorf and Statler instead of that? Either uh, switch them with Bunsen, Honeydew, and Beaker as the two men looking for charity, or when Scrooge is in the Christmas yet to come, and there's that discussion between, well, you know, old Scratch got his, didn't he? Are you going to the funeral? I'll go. If lunch is provided... Hang on a minute, Dickens has practically already written this for Waldorf and Statler. I'll go. If lunch is provided... (laughs) (laughs) So they took the decision to make the ghosts their own thing. I think they felt it would undermine some of the emotional qualities if each ghost was also a recognisable Muppet. Very effective ghost of Christmas past. Again, they go for the ghost of Christmas past being female. A lot of versions do. Not in the original story. The original story he's described as looking like a child, but not so much like a child as an old man. Right. So, Jimmy Clitheroe. Exactly my casting when we uh, did that on one of the Jeff Kick jukebox shows with Gary. We did our ultimate Scrooge casting. Dickens is very good for actually giving you all of the visual effects. I think it's only now that somebody could probably do The Ghost of Christmas Past properly. It's constantly fading in and out, going in and out of focus. So, so I mentioned that he'll appear to have like 40 legs and no head. and they come, So it's constantly coming and going out of focus. Dickens is, is sure to describe that uh, Marley glows like a lobster that's gone off because apparently lobsters glow when they go off. All right. Some sort of sickly green glow, I think. So Okay. Well, it's useful if you've got a power cut. What, one of Michael Caine's best bits is that he <laughs> he delivers the line, it's Fozzywig's old rubber chicken factory. Dead straight. <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm just thinking about that now. And also, we've got maybe the most successful different Scrooge. One day, all this de-aging technology will be used to make a version where Scrooge has the same face throughout his life. But we have the younger Scrooge, uh, played by Ray Coulthard. Now, you did your all that wonderful research on Stephen McIntosh. Do you know anything about Ray Coulthard? I can tell you one thing about him, actually. Not that I could tell you what else he's been in, but I did a little bit of research on this film that included listening to a podcast in which uh, Stephen McIntosh was talking about filming The Muppet Christmas Carol. And to be fair to him... He may have been laying it on a bit, but he was kind of professing not to remember that much about it because it was so long ago. So there wasn't a lot of gold. But the one thing he did mention was that um, he and the actor that played young Scrooge, was it Coltan, they often or occasionally would subsequently act together on stage and and whatnot. And every time they'd met up, they'd just look at each other and go, Muppets, and kind of high five. (laughs) (laughs) So... How do I describe this? Ray Coulthard does not look like a young Michael Caine, but he does look like a young version of the old Michael Caine. <laughs> when they stand next to each other, apparently he's best known for playing uh, Alasdair Sinclair in Emmerdale and uh, the restaurant manager in Hotel Babylon. Of course. Of course. But, yeah, when Ray Coulthard and Michael Caine stand next to each other, it's like, yep, that's the same face. It's probably worth mentioning as well the sets in this. They go from naturalistic to sort of almost expressionistic. When we get to Bob Cratchit's house, all the houses lean in at these Dr. Caligari angles. Yes, yes. It's beautiful. And and again, one of the things Stephen McIntosh was talking about was, as you would expect because of the Muppeteers, the human actors were standing on platforms and there were slots where the Muppeteers would be operating the Muppets. So that if you weren't careful, you could stride out and fall down, basically. But no, the sets are fantastic. And some of the effects that they did, there's a scene where Kermit is walking with Tiny Tim, and we see him walking, don't we? And that effect was achieved by essentially putting Kermit into a barrel and attaching the camera to the barrel and sort of the logistics of it escaped me. But essentially, it was a week's work for maybe half a minute. And it looks natural, though. That's the thing. It doesn't look... Kermit is walking. This looks strange. I once saw Sooty show where you saw Sooty's legs. They flared. His legs flared. What do you mean they flared? He didn't have a wide bit and, like, you know, his calf and then his foot. His 
foot was basically they were thin at the top and they got wider as they went, even including his foot. That's my memory anyway. <laughs> I tell you, I often find upsetting Fozzie with no hat. Yes. It just makes one question whether there really is any goodness in the world when you see Fozzie's little bump. <laughs> unnerving. What's the word? Serendipity. There's a character called Fezziwig, and we got Fozzie, Fozziwig. I don't know why they had to have his mum in it either. Can't have Fozzie being married, so Mrs. Fozziwig has to be his mum. I don't know what that decision was all about. I was going to say, I'm afraid you've had an incomplete experience. It depends who you talk to. So you've seen the theatrical version. When this first came out on home video, there was a song in the past, sung by Belle. Belle is not actually attached to the Fezziwig part of the story in the novelette either. She's just there. It's just like, here's another flashback. When she's dumping Screw, she then sings a song, The Love Is Gone. And you have Michael Caine sings, a, he's standing behind Belle. So they're singing a duet without her knowing that she's singing a duet. That song got cut from the theatrical release, left him for the home video. Then when the Blu-ray came out, the song was missing again. And there's been this whole thing of whether um, a high quality copy of the song exists or not or whether it only exists on the home video master it was cut out apparently because it was felt to sort of drag the movie's timing particularly for the younger audience but the problem with that is we then get a callback at the end we get a brief snatch of a song called the love we found but it's a callback to nothing was it cut as well because there were no actual muppets it was just young scrooge and well, that's Val. A point that hadn't occurred to me just going back to the ghost of christmas past i understand that the effect was achieved by filming the creature in a at first in a tank of baby oil which then was they kind of watered it down if you can water down baby oil i don't know but they they kind of had to dilute it in some way to get the effect they wanted it's worth it it's worth the effort i'm surprised you haven't seen more ghosts achieved under that i don't know the cost of baby oil <laughs> maybe there was a sudden sharp rise in the cost of baby oil sometime subsequent to the muppet christmas carol yeah, would you have to go, like in Breaking Bad, would you have to go to like all the different chemist shops in the state to buy <laughs> to buy baby oil because you wouldn't want to arouse suspicion? <laughs> when we get to Christmas Present, that's another great moment in Michael Caine's acting in this film. Now, for some reason, the game that Nephew Fred plays with his guests seems to keep changing. In different adaptations, for I mean, like they're playing the minister's cat in the Albert Finney one. They're playing similes in the George C. Scott one. Whereas I think it's called Yes and No or Questions, and so it's just you know it's twenty questions, but without the limit. It all builds up to a huge put down on Scrooge, unwanted creature in the city. It's your uncle Scrooge. That was a wasted opportunity because you had Fred, and you had a dog guest. And I think a horse guest, you know, horse Muppet, dog Muppet. And then you had these extraterrestrial beings, <laughs> these gargoyles. And I was just thinking, why couldn't they have just used, you know, someone like Janice from the band or, I mean, even Scooter. I know, you know, it doesn't have to have a line, just recognizable characters. It seemed a wasted opportunity to me. But anyway, so they build up to this thing. It's your Uncle Scrooge playing the game of who's the worst you can think of. And, uh, Michael Caine just looks like he's been stabbed in the soul. He's just heartbroken. He just thought we were all having fun, and then he suddenly realises that's how little they think of him. And I don't think we get the scene where Fred says he's a comical fellow. He's the one who suffers. I don't think we quite get that little underlining that Fred does still have affection for him. But we get the song It Feels Like Christmas, which I think is the best song in the film. It may just be because there's one particular line I like, which is, it is the summer of the soul in December. I just like that one. Can we talk about the ghost of Christmas present? Because he was a jolly fellow. <laughs> and what was, what was it he was Which, he was, you know, he's not always that jolly in different versions. I've seen him played initially very jolly, and I've, I've seen him played quite dour, uh, threatening. Kenneth Moore in Scrooge plays him as a Kenneth Moore character in a movie as opposed to a Kenneth Moore character in a TV series that he's, he has different modes for TV and movies. So he's just got this kind of hectoring quality. They do really well in this. 
I don't know where the absent-mindedness comes in. That's not something. Anyway, did you have a point to make about uh, the Nick? No, I just, I just think he was for me. He was the most memorable of the three. Come and what was it? What's his line? Come and get to know me better, or something. <laughs> Come in <laughs> and line. know me better, man. That's the one. That's the one with with this slightly indeterminate accent. Not sure where that was from, but impressively, he ages as well. This is part of the original story, but this is also part of the original story that. Christmas Present is the one I think that often suffers most from edits because after showing Christmas at Fred's, Christmas at the Cratchits, he then shows Scrooge Christmas all over the country. And so he takes him to like a lighthouse and a ship at sea. And then there's mention of him attending a Twelfth Night party for children. So when he's getting older, he's getting over over that period of 12 days. This is another thing that I think sometimes gets lost, which is the spirits did it all in one night. Because it's also, in the original story, it's not you'll be visited at 1, 2, and 3. It's you'll be visited at 1am, then 1am the following day, then midnight the day after that. But from Scrooge's point of view, he's been gone for about two weeks. So that's why the spirit gets old and sort of vanishes or dies at midnight. Is He's the spirit of the entire... 12-day holiday. And that's also why I think that the next spirit is the spirit of Christmas yet to come, not the spirit of Christmas future, because technically Scrooge has really sort of travelled to the future. He's travelled at least 12 or 13 days into the future within Christmas 1843, and the next ghost is Christmas 1844 and beyond. Or maybe Dickens just thought future was a bit too, you know, it's not, it doesn't have quite the uh, appeal of yet to come. It's got that nice sort of doomy quality he liked his word count, didn't he, Dickens? He liked to fill a page. Why use one word when three will do? So one thing naturally missing from Christmas present is the two starving children, ignorance and want. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Fair play to them. So it's... Is it Robin? Yes. Frog? He is Tiny Tim. It's not just another small frog. It is Robin. He's playing Tiny Tim and they're not going to back down from what is going to happen to Tiny Tim. But he also has an older, slightly older brother who's just in between Kermit and Robin. <laughs> really. Now, here's the thing. So basically, the reptilian qualities are maybe carried on the Y chromosome because the boys are frogs and the girls are pigs. They spared themselves the effort and us the horrifying <laughs> vision of a family of pig frogs. <laughs> Green pigs like in Angry Birds. Um <laughs> It's the same principle as um, Lady and the Tramp. If you remember in Lady and the Tramp, certainly the sort of um, the boy puppies look like Tramp and the girl puppies look like Lady. Yeah, but they're all still dogs. <laughs> That's true. You, they didn't have to like wrestle with <laughs> <laughs> these uh, reptile mammal, <laughs> semi porcine. <laughs> I'd love to know if there's a concept drawing of a pig frog. <laughs> yeah, do you think they wrestled with that for a couple of days and thought, and then in the end, oh, they're not. Spirit, just... what will happen to Tiny Tim? Will he die? What, what, what do you mean, will, will he die? Why the hell are the rest of them still alive this time next Christmas? <laughs> These things are an abomination unto God. Even Dr. Moreau would make a pig frog. <laughs> By the way, is this the first... Uh, you know, I'm no great scholar when it comes to the Muppets and, and haven't really watched the films and the films that came before this, but is this the first evidence that, I don't want to bring this down, but that Kermit and Piggy have, you know, made the beast you know with two backs? The thing is, is that I don't think the Muppets are the kind of thing where that would be necessarily an uncomfortable discussion. The Muppets are a little bit grown up sometimes in their humour. A light touch. I mean, I've seen that film Meet the Feebles, and it's like, you're not adding anything here. You can't subvert something that's already fairly subversive. I'm going to say it. I'm going to have to mention this. There used to be a show called Steve Wright's People Show. And for my sins, I watched it. It was on Saturday nights. And Kermit the Frog did his impression of Hugh Grant on Sunset Boulevard. No. During the act. Oh, dear. And it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it was his impression of, of Hugh Grant the moment the police knocked on the window. It's quite, it's quite, 
the Muppets can discuss sex without it becoming some sort of thing that ruins the atmosphere of things. Because there's a certain element of over it, you know, we're all Muppets of the world here. I'm picturing a spent Kermit <laughs> as the Kermit from the Macy's Parade. <laughs> I need to, uh, yes, I explained that uh, we, with Gary, did a podcast about Thanksgiving, mentioned one year that was a Macy's Thanksgiving Parade and there was a giant inflatable Kermit and his head had deflated. <laughs> So that it just looked like they're carrying on this giant hungover Kermit who's been vomiting for an hour <laughs> and has now been taken out to see all the kids. And you see it coming down the, <laughs> the street and then there's a quick crossfade to what it should look like. There's like a, a library picture, a still of Kermit with an inflatable head. But yeah, he looks like... <laughs> It's then this is why there was never a Muppet film with Graham Chapman and Harry Nilsson. <laughs> also missing from this version, Mr. Topper. He's a friend of Fred's. He's at the party and he uses blind man's buff as an excuse to grow up the plump sister of somebody. No, I can't I can't see a groping character. Yeah, being included in the Muppet Christmas Carol. They're just not on. No, but you think about spent Kermit, apparently, but for some reason your brain can't go to <laughs> handsy Muppet. Busy hands. Well, they should have had old Joe, the spider. Oh, he's got those freaky eyes. That scene, so the scene in Christmas Yet to Come, in which it's the selling of Scrooge's things now that he's dead, is all Muppets, and it's not funny. It's sleazy. I can't recall having seen the spider Muppet in anything else. Never mind the Mrs. Dilber Muppet. No, they talk about his bed still being warm. I think that's in the original story. Don't pay extra for the warmth. Well, you should. It was the only warmth he ever had. Something like that. Can we just, because I know this is something that you and, and we like to, to do on occasion when we watch films and talk about films and t television and such like. Have you thought about recasting in terms of Scrooge? Who else could have played Scrooge effectively if Kane in 1992. Yes. You know I haven't. Because I was a good job. Well, he does, but I was thinking about it because I, I know that Peter O'Toole had been considered, George Carlin, and and Tim Curry. Now Tim Curry would probably have just um, he'd have been nodding and winking at the audience. I think. Uh, he kind of does in um, Treasure Island. There's one point where he lets on that he realizes he's having a sword fight with a felt frog. I actually think it kind of works, but I don't know if it would have been necessarily nodding and winking, but yeah, he would have chewed the scenery, which in Dickens you can chew the scenery. You can actually give a much bigger performance than Kane does here and still have it ring true. Oh, yes. I, I wrote down one per. I was thinking, I was racking my brains thinking, who else play a, in the same way as, as Kane portrayed Scrooge, you know, keeping it straight, but with that range, if you like, that he could bring to it. The only person I thought about and then I thought, well, they probably wouldn't have cast this guy. But Graham Crowden, better known, I guess, to most people as the guy from, um, let's say, Waiting for God. Waiting for God. Um, but he was he was obviously a, a part of the Lindsay Anderson rep company, wasn't mm -hmm. he? He's in science fiction film The Final Program, directed by Robert Fust. Adaptation of a Michael Moorcock story. I believe Michael Moorcock doesn't like that version of the story, but I right. do. Okay, well that's that's the main thing. But do you know where I'm coming from with Graham Crowden? He's, he's quite lanky. I think he would have done a good job, but it wouldn't have been a particularly adventurous choice would be Bob Hoskins because, of course, he had Roger Rabbit training. Again, almost there, your proof of concept for doing a, a relatively straight performance around larger-than-life elements. We'll just quickly mention the ghost of Christmas Yet to Come is just a Muppetized version. He's not quite as scary as other versions. I think he's, he's got the outsized hands. His breadth and height don't quite match. But of course, um, Gonzo and Rizzo run out on us. Yes, that's right. Which seems fair enough for Rizzo, but does Gonzo really think that Dickens would run out on his own story? Imagine him on one of his reading tours. Anyway, long story short, everything ended up fine. I'm just, I don't want to do this ghost bit. I'll <laughs> pee myself in front of you all. Well, you know, Dickens had courage. Do you remember the story Dickens climbing into a derailed train 
to retrieve. <laughs> do you not know about this? It, towards the end of his life, he was on a train and it derailed and it, I think it went, went right over and uh, he was slightly injured and he was sort of pulled from the train or rescued from the train. And then he realized that he'd left the manuscript for our mutual friend on the train. So d- despite people trying to sort of hold him back, he-, he insisted on climbing back into the train and retrieving it. Hang on a minute. I helped uh, do the technical things for a three-part play about the life of Dickens for Community Radio, and that bit wasn't in it. There's plenty of stuff about his fixation on 17-year-olds and how utterly dreadful he was to his wife. Yes. In fact, I think he was on the train with, was it Alan Terry, who was the actress that he was carrying on with? We do actually see Kermit the Frog reacting to the death of his son, and it doesn't feel silly. Even Miss Piggy. Again, though, it's Dickens. The emotions tend to be pronounced. There's not necessarily big, but there's just a certain florid emotionally that I think you can get away with, which you might not with other authors. Miss Piggy has that scene where she's trying to pretend that she's fine when the two daughters are clearly see that she's upset, but you know she tries to put a brave face on it. There must be some awkward conversations that have arisen from this movie. This this is a movie with huge child appeal, but again, if I think if you deal with it well enough, there is that story. I think Sesame Street was I think the first American children's shows to handle bereavement. Not the first show in the world that might well have been. Inigo Pipkin. You heard of Pipkins with Hartley Hare? Yeah, the first series was Inigo Pipkin. It then came back as Pipkins, and the first episode was the the new central character having to explain to the puppets that Mr. Pipkin had died. Right. But then again, of course, that was the 70s. And, I mean, they just threw everything they could at the children of the 70s to freak them out. Spirit of Dark and Lonely Water... That goose, that goose or whatever it was getting Oh, Gideon, yes. The magic fountain. Oh my goodness, the magic fountain. That went out about midday and somebody gets electrocuted. This kid witnesses a couple of murders and then he's suddenly transported back to the present day and the skeletons are there of the murdered people. <laughs> I clearly remember Mr. Hooper dying in Sesame Street. Remember that. And, uh, and I think it was probably a little bit Annoyed that it wasn't Gordon because I didn't like Gordon. But what um, did he die of? Mister Hooper. Um, I don't know what the the actor or the character. Uh, um, the actor that played the him. Character. I don't know. Character. He's just stopped breathing. I don't think they actually gave a reason. <laughs> he died because he stopped breathing. But I remember Big Bird having. I think the character Bob. You know, one of the human characters, Bob, sat Big Bird down and explained to Big Bird that Mister Hooper wasn't going to shout at him anymore or whatever. <laughs> and Big Bird crying. I remember that very clearly. Did you have hauntology in New Zealand? Yeah. Well, yeah, like you said, because most of the programs that I grew up with were British imports, but it wasn't until you guys sort of pointed it out to me that I recognised it for what it was. But no, there's not really any of that. Muppet's Christmas Carol deals with all the themes in a fairly mature manner. And anyway, Tiny Tim does not die. Spoilers. Well, sorry, we're racing ahead here a little bit because I just wanted my favourite bit was when Scrooge is in the graveyard with the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And you can see, obviously, there's all these gravestones and you see that Scrooge strongly suspects what he's going to see, if you know what I mean. But he sort of very slowly walks towards a gravestone, which is in the foreground. And just before he reaches it, he gestures towards a gravestone to the left and kind of looks with a half smile on his face, sort of like a plea in his eyes, sort of hoping that the ghost will nod and say, yes, that's the gravestone. But no, he has to go and wipe the snow. Now, that's some realistic-looking snow. One thing that lets down the George C. E. Scott version is that it seems to be a very dry powder. I was intrigued by the fact that, famously, this was the first Muppet project following the death of Jim Henson. And so Kermit... Kermit has a slightly, slightly different voice because obviously it's not Jim Henson anymore. 
playing Kermit. Back in the days when you know that was what you got Kermit with a slightly different voice, not just some guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like Lotka from Taxi nowadays or something. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, I do think that the scene with towards the end where Beaker gives Kane his red scarf, Kane's acting is very good there. Again, yeah, he's good at the vulnerability. And one thing Stephen McIntosh mentioned, and I didn't pick up on it, I didn't spot it when I was watching the film. There's a shop, I believe you just sort of fleetingly see this shop, and it's called Micklewhite. Right, so I trust you feel something for your having watched this film for the first time. I was thinking I'll probably get something out of it because I do like the Muppets and I do like Michael Caine, but I also knew it was it was a musical of sorts, and I, you know I'm a bit iffy about that. And I'm, you know, I, I went into it sort of in two minds. But I did enjoy it, and uh, there were some laughs to be had, and, and Kane was superb. It was a surprisingly enjoyable experience. Excellent. Well, I will be back next month, all being well, with another version of A Christmas Carol. I mean, nobody's really going to listen to these things when they come out. I assume everybody's going to save them up to the end of the year. But the thing is, if I planned on doing special podcasts to go out in December... I really wouldn't have got myself into gear until about the 18th, the <laughs> earliest. So this is just my way of staying on top of the job, just spreading them all out evenly, as all my other podcasting plans lay in ruins. So we might be talking to another New Zealander. That's as much as I'll say, because there's always a chance that I'll end up talking with somebody else. But it will definitely be a version of A Christmas Carol. This show might continue after... 2022 maybe i'll just go to christmas films in general but next time the second of 12 versions of a christmas carol i'm watching for podcasting purposes i hope you'll be there a happy valentine's day (laughs) and a merry christmas to all except for that one guy you know the one in accounts (laughs) goodbye everybody goodbye